Bow your heads for just a brief moment. Father, we thank you this evening for this glorious privilege to gather here at Miles Road for this assignment and this kingdom moment. You've called us out of the darkness into your marvelous light, and we thank you to be able to represent heaven here on earth. Now, as we share these brief words tonight, I pray that someone would be touched and enlightened and inspired to be about their father's business and that your will will be done in their lives. In Jesus' name, and the Lord's people say amen. amen. God bless you. Take your seats. Praise God. Thank you, uh, choir, for ministering to us. Uh, Lord, let your will be done in my life. And thank you, New Vision, for the portions of you that made your way out with us tonight. And I, I only want to recognize personally one person. Stand up, sweetheart. You're still standing. This is my wife, Stacey Johnson. Amen. All right. God bless you. Now I'm going to get right to what my great friend Jim has asked me to do. Jim and I are, we are kingdom brothers. We have kindred spirits. When I met him five or six years ago, uh, he has not changed, not one iota, not, not one bit. Uh, this uh, past January, of course, we were in discussions uh, early on in the year prior. He asked me would I be willing to come to the mountains with him in a men's retreat and share. And uh, it was one of the most eventful uh, time of my life to share with about 150 men from across the southeast. And it was tremendous. In fact, a few of the guys came up to me today and uh, said, well, good to have you here again with us tonight. So let's get to our topic tonight from the book of Jonah is where we're going to go. Jonah chapter 1, if you want to go there with us. You can remain seated. I'm going to read to you from the first four or three verses, three or four verses from the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He was hiding. I'm going to use for a topic tonight the Israelites versus the Ninevites and the AWOL prophet. For those of you who don't know what AWOL means, it's a military term, and it simply means away without official leave. So God sent Jonah in one direction, and he decided to go in another. Sounds like a lot of people you may know today. <laughs> The book of Jonah tells a story about this prophet that God called, sent him to a place called Assyria. 
to preach a revival to that nation. So instead of going to Assyria, Jonah hopped the ship headed in another direction. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was the country that was an enemy to Israel. Perhaps that's why Jonah didn't want to go. Assyria was located in current northern Iraq and east of Turkey. The Assyrians had one of the most ruthless armies in all of history. It was said that their chariots, the wheels, had spikes on them, so whenever they would overrun a group of enemy, those spikes would just emaciate and mutilate their bodies. Scholars believe that they were perhaps a superpower during their day, pretty much like what America is in the world today. The story took place around 7060 B.C. or B.C.E., before the Common Era. I like to tell folks B.C. doesn't mean before Christ. You can make it say that, but it means before the Common Era because Christ, when he came into the world some 2,000 years after the creation of Adam, the Common Era represented, or not 2,000, 4,000 years, it represented a time when Christ, who came into the world as a common man, he was God's man clothed in flesh. In fact, he was God in the flesh who came to a dark world. Humanity had reached an all-time low of corruption. When God created Adam and gave him directives and gave him dominion over all the earth, he lost that dominion because he forfeited his role by allowing the enemy to talk him out of what God called him to do. And as a result of it, darkness came across the entire world. In fact, it got so dark, 1,600 years after creation, God said, I'm not going to strive with humanity any longer. So he found a faithful man by the name of Noah, and then he said, I'm going to destroy all flesh with the exception of this one family. What's, what's, what's critical about Noah and his family was that they were representing a specimen of all humanity because what God wanted in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 when he created Adam and gave him directives was he wanted to raise families because the kingdom of God is relational. And because God wanted to have relationship with Adam, he wanted Adam, he wanted Adam to have relationship as well, so he created him a helpmeet and gave him directive to create or procreate and multiply and be fruitful on the earth, creating this heavenly domain on the earth. So as a result of forfeiting that, the nation plummeted into decadence. So around 729, the Israelite, who had grown to be the most powerful nation in the world at its time, uh, when Israel came along, the Egyptians were the most powerful nation in the world. And they dwelled in Egypt for a brief period, but God had made a promise to his servant Abraham. 
In Genesis 12 and 1, God said to him, Abraham, if you would obey my voice, leave your family. He was currently living in Haran, which was about 750 miles or so above where he was born and raised in a place called Ur. And God said to him, I'm going to send you to a place, and when you get there, I'm going to bless you and prosper you. Your seed is going to be as vast as the stars of the heaven and the sand on the seashore. And since God is not a man, he didn't lie, he made good on his words. From the call of Abraham through his son Isaac and through uh, Jacob and to those 12 sons that he had, uh, God produced a major nation on the earth. And uh, after a series of, uh, of years had passed, he raised them up under the leadership of Solomon who took on the leadership of his father David and made Israel the most powerful nation in the world. Solomon, the Bible says, was the wisest man in the world and Israel uh, demanded a presence of all nations. Of course, the Syrians were there. They saw this major influence that God had placed upon them. And how many of you know that when God... Uh, begins to prosper and bless your life, everybody's not going to like that. You're going to have some enemies out there, not because you want to make enemies, but because Satan is our adversary. And what he does, he gets into the hearts of people. And he will cause them to come against you for one reason alone, because you are on the Lord's side. But you have no need to fear because as long as you're on the Lord's side, one plus God represents a majority. You are never outnumbered as long as God is on your side. That's it. So these two nations were arch enemies. And so Jonah had no intentions of following through with this revival that God sent him to preach. The Israelite had an assignment on them to bring light to the world. As I said, when Abraham was called in Genesis 12, God said to him in verse 3 of chapter 12 that all of the families on the earth is going to be blessed through you. And the reason why Abraham had this assignment, because he was actually picking up where Adam dropped the ball. Ten generations after Noah, his, through his son Shem, God brought to the world Abraham. And Abraham's assignment was to reintroduce the world to faith, to teach them about God. And so he took this assignment seriously, and through him, God brought to us a nation, 42 generations through that nation, he brought to us the Christ who is the one that is the savior of the entire world. So when God makes a promise, he never goes back. Yes. So, Jonah, this, this prophet, called to go to preach revival to their enemy, to the nation that was an enemy to them. And so Jonah... The Bible says he decided to go in another direction. Now, if you know anything about geography, my wife and I talk about this all the time. He, she says, honey, 
you, you can study geography. I don't like geography. It's just, it's just confusing to me. But uh, Israel sits right on the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, where God sent Jonah was about 700 miles to the east of the Mediterranean to where is modern-day uh, Iraq is where he was supposed to go to preach to these Ninevites. Jonah decided to get on a boat at the seaport uh, in Israel, in, in the Mediterranean, and he was going to travel 2,500 miles in the opposite direction all the way to Tarshish, which is a city in southern Spain. That's a long trip. That's a long trip. But he was not about to go and preach to his enemy. And do you not know that, uh, that, that in, our, in our day that there are a lot of people who have that same, same trapping in their spirit? We have a lot of divisive issues going on across our nation with culture and race and, and, and even gender. And sometimes God will put a passion in your heart and give you a job to do, but if you don't like the person, you make the decision, well, I don't want to tell them what God says. But the good news of the gospel is not prejudice. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. For the Bible says, for God so loved the, the world, that includes that neighbor of yours that gets on your last nerve, that you don't want to have anything to do with. God loves them too. So Jonah, he's considered a minor prophet. And uh, as I studied biblical uh, history over the years, I learned that minor did not mean that his message was any less than, than the other. It simply meant that he wrote less. So the minor has all to do with the less in writing. But all of the books were equally inspired because they came directly from God. And so God says to him, go to Nineveh. He gets on a boat and on his way to Tarshish, the Bible says on this boat, God allowed a great wind, a great tempest on the sea because he was after Jonah. You can't hide, you can't run from God. But apparently Jonah didn't understand that too well because the Bible says he was in the belly of the ship fast asleep. He, in his heart, he's thinking he's running away from God. But I can tell you today, when the Holy Spirit puts an assignment and a call on your life, you can be reluctant about it, you can be negligent about it, but he's not going to let you rest until you understand one thing. He, and he alone, is in charge of your life. And when you understand that, and when you line your life up with God, only good things and blessings and favor can come upon you. And so during his a wall trip. He's afloat on the sea, running away from God. Jonah runs head on into God. The shipmaster came. He knew something was wrong, so they said, "Well, we're going to figure out what to do here. Let's just let's just poll some folk and let's let everybody begin to pray and and let everybody pray to their God and maybe maybe we'll find some answers here. We're going to call on somebody's God." So he came down to talk to Jonah. And as, as, as he was talking to Jonah, now he knew he was the person 
that was running from God, and they said, well, we're going to have to jettison this ship because we're not going to be able to survive this way. So Jonah held up his hand. He said, well, don't throw up the cargo. Throw me out. I'm the guilty man. So here he is now confessing up, knowing that he had run, ran away from God, and it has caught up with him, and now it's time for him to answer. So they cast Jonah over into the sea. And so as you go into chapter 2, you'll find that Jonah finally learned how to really, 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 really pray. Because that, that entire chapter is the prayer of Jonah crying out to God, wailing to God, asking God to get him out of this mess. He's in the belly of a whale now. now he's not in the ship anymore. He's in a big fish, whatever kind it was. He's swallowed up. And do you not know that Sometimes in our lives, struggles is the only thing that will drive people to pray. I remember, and you I'm sure remember as well, during 9-11, this horrific period in the nation's history, uh, focusing on the media, that more people were going in and out of the churches during that time than any other time in modern history. But shortly after that, they fell asleep. They had hit the snooze button and fell back to sleep. But I believe God was trying to send revival to America then. Because believe it or not, as much as he has prospered this nation, the most prosperous nation in history today with all of the wealth, all of the military resources, and all of the, 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 the medical science has been developed here, but we are yet in trouble morally and spiritually. Anytime we can sit back in a nation and from the president of the United States can uh, turn and turn against the very foundation of what we've taught and believe according to scripture and say now it's okay for two men to marry, two women to marry, which is a violation of the fundamental principles of God, you know we're in trouble. And being backed by the Supreme Court. So revival needed to go to Nineveh just like it needs to come to America. So the Bible says as Jonah prayed to God, he obviously got God's attention. So God allowed the fish to belch him out on the sea, on the shore of the sea. And then in chapter 3, Jonah decides to go. Reluctantly, he decides to go. God gave him another chance, just like he's giving some of you today. You know, a lot of times we will blend into churches, we blend into crowd. You know, something about church, it, it, it attracts everybody. But everybody who comes to church is really not about getting their lives straight with God. But every opportunity that you get to come to a service, it should be a time where somewhere, somehow, something, a song, a dance, a message from the word of God, somebody is ministering to your heart because God wants to get you to himself. He wants to get you into heaven. Amen. He gave his son, his son gave his life. He suffered to bring all of us back into that relationship with him that Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. And so the message of reconciliation and uh, turning our lives around, just as God sent Jonah to the Ninevites, that message is meant for the entire world. And so Jonah goes, 
The Bible says in chapter 3, And the word of the Lord came to him again the second time, saying, Jonah, arise, go. Go to that great city and preach. Preach to the Ninevites. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the Lord. And now Nineveh, the Bible says, was an exceedingly great city. Took him about three days to get there. But when he got there, he began to preach. Forty days! Destruction is coming. And somebody heard the word. And the Bible says, so the people of Nineveh, Nineveh believed God. And listen to this now. This is a heathen nation, a Gentile nation, a nation that had no, no concept of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the prophet of God came to town to preach the gospel, to preach the message of revival. And the king got the word and put everybody on a fast. The dog was fast and the chicken was fast and the cat was fast. Everybody was on a fast because they knew destruction was coming. And the Bible says, God heard the prayers and the supplications of those Ninevites and he turned the destruction around and revival came to that city. The Ninevites got a hold to God they, 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 they got into sackcloth and ashes, uh, sackcloth. I don't, uh, when I was a little boy, we, we called them croaker sack. But if you ever remember big old bag of potatoes and stuff like that, I mean, it's really rough textured uh, material. Uh, that's what they got in and just, just wallowed all in. And, and the Israelites, you know, that was their way of really, really demonstrating and exemplifying true repentance, just, 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 just punishing this flesh. That's what those Ninevites did. They wallowed before the Lord because they really had true repentance in their hearts. And the Bible says, all this turmoil, God brought revival and turned that city around. He turned his wrath and his judgment around, and the people really got saved. Now, God can save your enemy even if you don't want him saved. Even if you don't want your enemy saved, sometimes, you know, situations and circumstances, you know, that you will encounter with other people, if you're not careful, uh, the enemy would cause hatred and anger and bitterness to well up in you. And, 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 and I've come to learn that that's one of the, the greatest struggle that we have among church people. You know, the devil knows that he not, he's not going to get most of us to go back into the world and fornicate and commit adultery and steal but if he can cause you to harbor bitterness and anger in your heart against your brothers and sisters and unforgiveness, you know, he, he, he would have you in a place of bondage because unforgiveness has more to do with you than, it's your, than, than, than it is for your enemy because unforgiveness is like you drinking a bottle of poison and expecting me to die from it. And this is what happens to a lot of people. And, and, and this is what happened to the prophet Jonah. After he got through preaching revival. Now this is the most asinine story I've ever heard. After he got through preaching the revival and the Ninevites got saved, Jonah went and hid under a tree and told the Lord to kill him. <laughs> Have you ever heard of such thing? You would think 
he'd be rejoicing and dancing. Man, we got some folks saved today. The whole city turned around. He wanted to die. Because he had that much hatred in his heart for these Ninevites. Now, the, 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 the setting that took place here happened around 750, 740, but around 729, these same Ninevites. Now, maybe after you hear this, you might side with Jonah. But if you study your biblical history, and this all happened, it wasn't really the Ninevites' fault because God raised them up to chastise the Israelites. But at the death of King Solomon, who had brought Israel to its zenith, they were the most powerful nation on the earth at that time. Nobody would come up against these Israelites. But after King Solomon died, Solomon, prior to his death, had begun to lead the nation into idolatry. In fact, he began to set up false gods in Israel himself. Now, I have a tough time taking care of one wife. Solomon had 600 wives. And if that wasn't enough, he had 300 girlfriends on top of that. And the Bible says those, those, those foreign women, now, now he, he, he obviously had a strategy because kings, they did do that. They intermarry women, uh, and the, 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 the whole concept would be if I got uh, one of my grandchild that's in your camp, then you and I are going to have an alliance. We're not going to fight because I'm not going to kill my own blood. So that was the whole principle. But those women came into Israel with their foreign practices and their idol gods and all that corruption. And as Solomon got old, they weakened the wisest man on earth who literally, if you study what he did, became very foolish. And so God said, I'm going to rip the kingdom away from you. I'm only going to leave a small remnant to honor my servant David. And so after his death, Jeroboam, his general, in fact, God had sent the prophet to tell him, I'm going, you're going to inherit ten tribes. When Solomon got the word, he was so drunk on his bitterness at that age, he set out to kill Jeroboam because he knew Jeroboam was going to take the throne. But God had already positioned him, and when he died, they came to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and said to him, you know, we, we, we'd like to have some inheritance among you, but your daddy was a real ruthless man. Can you have some pity on us? He said, pity, all right. You think my daddy was bad. You wait until I get on the throne. And so as a result of his, his ruthless, impetuous spirit, he divided the nation. Ten northern tribes defected under Jeroboam, the two southern tribes with his son Rehoboam, and they continued to go downward. In fact, they have never recovered to this very day, the nation of Israel, from where God had brought them. Now, eventually, they're going to get back there. They're actually on the way as we speak, but they're not there yet. But here, Jonah, being a part of this, this, this nation, he saw this obviously coming. 
Those Ninevites came in in the year 729 and hauled off all the choice men of the northern kingdom of Israel and took them back into captivity. And Jonah, when he saw the Ninevites repenting, he said to God, kill me. I don't want to have nothing to do with this. As we conclude the story, what you'll see is that God said to Jonah, now he, he, he went out in the heat of the day, burning sun, the most hottest, hottest day I, I reckon he'd ever experienced. He's hit under this tree, and then the tree withered, and there he was, perspiring and out in the sun all alone. And then he had pity on the tree. And God said to him, how can you have pity on a tree and you won't have pity on a nation of people who needed to hear my voice? Now, this would speak to some people today, and hopefully there's no guilty person in this room. But do you not know that there are some people who have more passion on animals than they do humans? I'm just bringing it home because it's not the tree this time. It may be that dog or that cat that you love so much that you have more love for than you have for other people. But God has called us as a body of believers in this world to preach the gospel to every creature. In Matthew 28 and 19, just before Jesus left the earth after he had been resurrected and gave his final charge to his disciples, he said to them that I want you to go into all of the world, everywhere, to preach the gospel of reconciliation to every creature. He that believe will be saved. He that believe not will be condemned. That commission 2,000 years ago has not changed. And as I wrap this up, let me just tell you that we have erroneously made the preaching of the gospel the job of the deacons and the preachers. But if you go back to the biblical text and you read what took place in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God came into that setting, and arrested all those that was there. I can tell you, they had no titles. In fact, they were just everyday, uh, the Bible called them ignorant and unlearned Galileans. But they had an anointing on them after that upper room. And Jesus said that I'm going to send you to Jerusalem, to uh, uh, Samaria, to Judea, to all of the earth to preach my gospel. No titles! Just preach the word. Just scatter the seeds. Let people hear it. And somebody, if you preach the gospel and preach it right, somebody is going to hear the word, hear the word of the Lord and come to him because these words are spirits and they are life. And so as we conclude, stand to your feet.
don't know your personal condition. But I can tell you, God does. And uh, as you've heard the story of this AWOL prophet, there may be someone in here tonight who have a similar story. You can relate to everything I just said because that's you in the picture. These stories translate over times and generations and people. They mean the same thing. That's why the word is so powerful and so gripping because these are eternal words. They are spirit words from God. And the Bible says heaven is going to pass away before these words pass. And so God speaks to someone. As you bow your heads right now, I want to just pray with you. There may be someone here who have been running from God for whatever reason. You may have been hurt by someone. Your heart's full of bitterness. You're full of pain. You're full of anger. You felt like God has neglected you. He, 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 he's left you all alone. Well, he sent me here today to tell you that that's the biggest lie the devil could ever tell. God is never going to leave you alone. He came to give you life, and he wanted you to have that life more abundantly. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, God says to those Israelites who was carried away for the second time, this time into Babylon, he said to them, I have good thoughts of you. Even though I've, I've taken you to this, to this route, I'm still having good thoughts of you, not evil thoughts. I want to prosper you and bring you to a prosperous end. And so if you have something in your heart and your spirit that is causing you to be disaffected and severed from God, he has sent these words tonight to you. And I'm going to just pray. And as I pray, I want you to pray as well. And I can tell you, the Bible said, if we confess our faults, he is faithful and he is just to cleanse us and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you. We thank you for this tremendous privilege to, to gather here this evening with our fellow kingdom brothers and sisters here at Masra. Thank you for allowing us to be able to speak these brief words of encouragement and hopefully empowerment to the hearts of your people. And should there be anyone tonight who needs to be forgiven, like those Ninevites who needed to hear a word of forgiveness and to repent, to turn away from whatever it is that may be ailing them, I pray that you give them that opportunity right now, that your presence and your anointing would arrest them and then bring them to a place of relief and restore them and let peace and let joy once again enter their hearts. Let your glory cover them like your glory is covering the earth. In Jesus' name and the Lord's people say amen.